Before we look at this section of 1 Peter, will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for calling us together to worship you. Father, we recognize that this is the Lord's day. And as we saw in the Gospel of John, we celebrate it. Um, the great day, even the first of the first day of new creation, uh, we remember what we celebrate, Jesus, your resurrection. That it is in light of that and underneath the umbrella of the magnitude of your resurrection uh, that we do come before you and we praise you for the country that you have given us to live in. Father, we thank you that for centuries upon centuries, the gospel has been free to be preached and proclaimed in this country. Father, we thank you for how you have seen it fit in the spreading of your word across the world that missionaries have gone forth into the world from this country since its inception. Father, we don't come to you giving you praise for a country that is without, that is without sin, a country that is beautiful and yet broken. Father, we recognize that there is much pain and suffering that has even been caused by the United States. Father, we don't know what to do with all that except to bring it to you and to give you praise and thanksgiving and to ask, as you have commanded us to pray, even in light of the celebration of our country, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the United States and around the world, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we long that your name would be proclaimed more fully in this country. Father, we long that your justice would prevail in this country. Lord Jesus, we pray that as long as we are resident aliens in this country with our citizenship in heaven, we would be freed to worship and to proclaim your name. And that, Father, as long as it brings you glory and as long as it brings you pleasure and as long as you would see fit to have your name exalted and propagated throughout this country and this world, that you would cause this country to remain. But, Lord Jesus, we see even our country underneath the light of your resurrection, and we praise you that your resurrection changed the world in its entirety. Every country has a hope that is living because you have been raised from the dead, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And we praise you that from there you will come to judge the living and the dead. Lord Jesus, we praise you that the one who is our judge is also the one who has saved us. And so we can say as your church with the Apostle Paul, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. It is so much greater. It is inexpressible than any other joy we might celebrate on this day. 
And Lord Jesus, that that joy is for the entire world. We give you praise. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters, some of whom are here from other countries today, and we praise you that your gospel has gone forth and has drawn men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation and people to yourself. And Father, we pray that that would continue to happen. We pray even as Yosef prepares to go and translate your scriptures to another language in China that you would prepare him and that we as a church would be prepared to go with him and to encourage our brother in Christ as you send him out. And Father, we praise you for the freedom to send him. Father, we long for your word to bear fruit. Not just in our lives as individuals. Father, we long to be different women and men than we are than we were when we walked in. When when we leave today, we ask you, Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Father, we long to be a different church because of what we hear today, the hope that is set before us. And we long for our country to be a different country where your justice prevails and rains down, where racism is crushed, where sexual abuse and violence is crushed, where Jesus, your name is exalted. We long for these things. We long for them. But Father, we confess to you that knowing how to enter into this is very hard. And we confess to you that it is often the case that we feel defeated before we get started. And so all too often we are silent in the face of what feels to be mounting pressure against your church. But Lord Jesus, again we praise you that you have been raised from the dead and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father and that you have opened for us the throne room of grace that we might enter into that throne room and ask you for the grace and the mercy that we need in our time of help. And Father, I pray that to a woman and a man, to a boy and a girl in this room today, that we would not leave this time of worship without asking you to come and help us, to help us understand the salvation that we have in you, to help us be the women and the men that you have called us to be as we bear your image into this world the very world that you said you sent Christ into, not to condemn the world, but the world that might be saved through that very name. And so, Jesus, we come to you now and we ask you to do what you have already done in myriad worship services today across the world where your people have gathered. Send your spirit. Quicken our hearts that we would hear your word Holy Spirit, take your word and plant it deep into our hearts and change us. Lord Jesus, start with me. Change me. Lord Jesus, you know that I am a man who feels like time is slipping away. Would you set my eyes on eternity? And as we fix our hope on Christ... The author and the professor and the, and, and the author and the perfecter of our faith. Would you please change us as women and men? Father, the work that needs to be done 
can only be done by you. And even as we look at this passage and celebrate the work that you have done, we ask you today, continue that work. Make Christ the King church your church. Make us together more beautiful so that a watching world would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, show us where you have given us opportunity to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of others. Please, do more than we can ask or imagine. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you. And uh, it is really good to stand up and preach again. It's been a couple of weeks since I've had an opportunity. And since I was last preaching, we have transitioned from the Gospel of John to this first letter of Peter. All right? If this is your first Sunday with us and you think we're still in the Gospel of John, go ahead, you, on your way out, pick up the Gospels of John. There are black books in the back. Take them, give them to a friend and say, I want to read this with you this summer. But as you read the Gospel of John, I also want you to invite you to read this first letter of Peter because it's what we as a church are going to be focused on all summer long. This letter to Peter that Nathan introduced for us last week is written to the Christians in Asia Minor. Asia Minor, if you remember, is north and west of Israel. It's what we know of as Turkey today. And it's where the first Christians who, who left Jerusalem and were dispersed, the dispersion, right, into the world as they traveled those ancient paths of commerce and of intellect found themselves. That's who Peter is writing to. But in God's sovereignty and by his graciousness, we as a church receive this letter, this dispersion, this dispersion of the church that has taken us all the way to the northeast in the United States of America, thousands and thousands of miles away from the Middle East. Thousands and thousands of miles. This is our letter. I want to say three things in, in way of introduction, and then I have three points to my sermon. They're not equally weighted, so don't worry if these three things take five minutes and you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, if I calculate that. It, I want you to pay attention to these three things. It's important that we start together on the same page in 1 Peter, okay? The first thing that I want you to know is that, Saint, is that, is that this book of 1 Peter was written by Peter. And you go, Bradley, that, that's kind of stating the obvious, isn't it? Well, yes and no. We need to remember who Peter was. Peter was the fisherman who was fishing one day. And as Jesus came along and said, I know that you've fished all day, but now I want to ask you, would you please throw your net to the other side of the boat? This is the same fisherman that looked at Jesus, whom he did not know at that point, and said, look, I've been fishing all night. I'm exhausted. But because you've told me to, I'll throw my net on the other side of the boat. And he brings in more fish than his boat or his net can handle. And as he comes in, he says to Jesus, you need to go away from me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you need to come to me because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. This is Peter, Jesus' friend. This is Peter, the one who you know to be a big sinner, right? This is Peter who is the apostle of Christ, 
the one who is sent by Jesus himself. This is Peter who walked with Jesus. Even as John opens up in 1 John in his letter, he's able to say, Jesus, the one whom we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands, this is Peter. This is who's writing to us. Do you know that this Peter literally embraced our Savior Jesus? That's who we're listening to. That's who we ought to give ears to in this letter. And not just that, but the Holy Spirit's promise to take this letter of Peter as his word and change us by it. He is the apostle. When we say in the Nicene Creed that we believe in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, what we are saying is that we believe in one church based on the writings and the witness of the apostles. Peter is one of those apostles whom we hear from today, firsthand having walked with Christ. Nathan reminded us last week of the themes and the purpose. Well, he reminded us of the themes of 1 Peter. I'm going to give you a couple of the purpose statements of 1 Peter, all right? First, the themes were these, eschatological hope, hope for the end of time, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you don't know what that word means, we'll get back to it. No big deal. But the second thing, that Peter reminds us of is that suffering in this life, in the life of the Christian, is for God's glory, that God's name would be made great. That's a second theme in the book of Peter. And there's a third theme that Nathan, Nathan talked about last week, and it's this, that it is sin and not suffering that destroys us. What a great message for us in the 21st century to need to hear. Do you avoid suffering as much as I do? Well, I was talking with somebody just before the service and saying how much I dislike birthdays coming because I see the time passing and, and fleeting away instead of anchoring my hope in what Peter calls us to, that suffering in this world is not what destroys us, but sin destroys us. Why did Peter write this? This is an important thing for us to hear. The reason Peter wrote us, and he gives us two places in his letters. He, he says it point blank. In 2 Peter, in the third chapter, he says, I have written to you this letter and my first letter to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Isn't that amazing? Peter wrote to stir up our sincere, our genuine minds by way of reminder that suffering doesn't destroy us. But because of Jesus, we ought to consider how we live life in a beautiful a beautiful yet broken world. And even in our letter here, 1 Peter 5, Peter says that I have written these things that I would exhort and declare to you that this is the true grace of God. Stand in it, he says. That's why Peter wrote these letters and why we're listening to it. I want to add a third, and the third is simply this. As I was studying this week, one commentator said that the key to understanding the, first, uh, the, book, the letters of Peter is to understand that they were written to Christians who were scattered and Christians who were exiles or aliens. Remember, these Christians were scattered. They were dispersed across all of Asia Minor. A study of, of, of Asia Minor during this time would have led you to see that the diversity in this area was so great. 
And yet Peter was calling these folks of such diverse backgrounds into one people of God. To understand that this letter is for those of us who are scattered. And maybe you feel as if you as a Christian have been scattered out of the community in which you once lived and you find yourself here now. One commentator called, the, called 1 Peter a traveler's guide to Christian pilgrims. Isn't that great? A, a, a traveler's guide to what it means to be a Christian pilgrim. But he also said that it was written to elect exiles or elect aliens. What do you hear when you hear aliens? Mac Barnes was so excited to see that the director of national intelligence was going to release, you know, two weeks ago, all these reports on all the alien activity that had happened in Area 59. And, 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 and Mac was just so excited. He thought, surely now we're going to understand that there are aliens in this world, right? Did you know that of the 144 unidentified um, aerial, uh, what did they call it, unidentified aerial phenomena that only one of them has been able to be defined with a high degree of confidence. And that was a deflated balloon that was falling out of the sky. I think Mac was really disappointed. But when I hear aliens, I realize that's me. That's us. Even on this 4th of July, what a great text for us to be into. This text that reminds us that we are aliens, resident aliens with our citizenship ultimately in another place, ultimately in heaven. I was struck this week as I read and was refreshed in my memory that Massachusetts is the most secular state in the entirety of the United States. It is the most secular state. It is the place where Christians feel dispersed and like aliens. If you feel like that as a Christian today, this letter is for us to read. Now listen, there are three things that I want you to see. And again, these are not even, so don't worry about it. I won't go three times as long as I've already gone. But I want you to see this. That the definition of Christian hope, out of these verses that Ellie read to us, verses 3 through 12, that the definition of Christian hope is hope that takes hold of the future. I bet you know my first point. Hope that takes hold of the future in the present. I bet you know my second point now. Because it is anchored in the past. That's what we're going to talk about. Are you ready to hear it again? That Christian hope is hope that takes hold of the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. Let's look at these things together with me just for a few minutes. All right, so turn to your Bibles. Uh, 1014 in those blue pew Bibles. Children, if you have a hard time paying attention but you know how to read, open up the Bible and read it. It'll at least take you three or four minutes, and then you'll have to figure out something else to do, and there's children's pages in the order of worship. Feel free to grab hold of those. But I want you to see this first point, okay? The first point comes to us from these verses three through five, and it is that hope is taking hold of the future. It's taking hold of the future salvation in the present 
because it's rooted in the past. I have a question for you. And I want you to take a minute and seriously consider it. As you look forward to the next week, as you look forward to your summer vacation, as you look forward to the next months that are before you, what are you taking hold of? What is giving you hope? Come on, something is giving you hope. We human beings only live with hope. What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to who you are? Are you holding on to what you have done? Are you holding on to what you have? We learn in these first three verses that Christian hope is in God. Peter writes and he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just like you just sang in our doxology, right? Praise, the psalmist says, fits those who are upright before the Lord. Those who are righteous before the Lord. Praise is befitting of them. And the first thing that I was struck with is how much I look into the world and complain. I can complain about almost anything. I can complain that the bed is too soft. I can complain that the temperature is too hot. I can complain that I haven't had good pizza in over a week. I can find any number of things to complain about. But when we take hold of Christian hope, it's befitting that we praise God. And the apostle Peter gives us reasons why. This first reason that we see is that God has mercifully caused us to be born again to a living hope. When you understand or are asked the question... Are you a born-again Christian? Of which in Massachusetts, it's less than 2% of people who would answer yes to that question, by the way. Are you a born-again Christian? This is a text that you can go to and say, what does it mean to be born again? That while we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, God, because of his great mercy, made us alive in Christ. By grace, we have been saved through faith, right? That we are born again into a living hope. And you ask the question, how? And he answers the question, Peter does for us, by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then he describes this living hope as an inheritance. And Peter knows that when he uses this word inheritance, he stands on the entirety of the canon of Scripture, all of the Old Testament, and everything that he has heard from Jesus. Remember, the promised land was the inheritance that God was giving to his people as he brought them out of Egypt, right? And all of these words, as one commentator pointed me to, reflect what happened to the promised land because of the sinfulness of the Israelites. That it perished, it was defiled, and it faded away. But unlike that, our living hope, our inheritance to which we are called, is imperishable. It is impossible for it to perish, even as Doug reminded us of that, even before the call to worship, that our hope is imperishable, that our hope and, and, and our living hope to which we have called the inheritance is undefilable, and it's unfading. It is living, a living hope. But even that idea isn't foreign to the Bible. 
Did you know that there was one tribe in Israel that did not receive an inheritance? Which tribe was it? Do you know? Levites, right? And the Levites didn't receive an inheritance because God actually says, you will not receive an inheritance in the promised land. I am your inheritance. God promised to be our God and that we would be his people. And in Christ, we have been raised to a living hope an inheritance that is imperishable, undefilable, and unfading because Jesus, God himself, is our inheritance. That's why it's called a living inheritance, right? That our salvation is in the presence of God. And God hasn't just caused us to be born again to a living hope. We read further on in the next verse that God powerfully guards us. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I I heard something and it arrested me. It stopped me in my tracks. It took control of my mind is what we mean when we say that. That's the language that's here. We, We are arrested by God's love. God's love God powerfully guards us through this gift of faith for a salvation that has been made ready for us. Peter says, this is why I praise God. And this is why I invite you to praise God. Now you gotta think about Peter and hope for a minute. Peter lived this hope, didn't he? What happened at the end of Jesus' life before the cross? Peter denied Christ. For two days, Peter was in utter despair. The one whom he professed that he would die for, he has denied. And that one has been crucified and is dead. And there is no hope for Peter to make that relationship right. Do you feel the hopelessness that Peter had those days? There was no hope for Peter. The women, they go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body. And they find an angel there that says, go back and tell the disciples and Peter, the angel says, that Christ is risen from the dead. Peter and John run And just like Bryce on last Sunday night, Bryce beats us to the end, but Peter runs into the tomb but doesn't find Jesus. But in the next couple of days, Jesus appears to Peter and the Twelve. And Jesus invites Peter and the Twelve to again to touch him and to see that his body is really his body. But not just that, Jesus meets them. the scene in Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan finds Forrest Gump on his fishing boat and he's sitting there on the dock as the fishing boat comes in and and Forrest Gump can't do anything except he just runs off the fishing boat and he falls in. If he had stayed on the fishing boat, he would have gotten to Lieutenant Dan a lot quicker, right? And we see the same image here that Peter sees that Jesus is on the shore and he can't help but fling himself into the water because there is hope for restoration, There is hope to be made new again. There is hope for forgiveness. There is hope that things could be made right again. 
And Peter flings himself at Christ. And Christ draws Peter to himself and he says, peace, peace be with you. Peter knows this hope. Remember, the hope that we're looking at is not just hope that takes hold of the future, but it takes hold of the future in the present. And this is from verses 6 through 9. It takes hope of the future in the present. Christian hope in the future has present day implications is what we read. Look at how verse 6 starts. In this you rejoice. This rejoicing that Jesus has been raised to the dead and because of him we have you know, the hope of eternal life. The front of one of the commentaries that I'm studying simply has the bright morning sun. Not in contrast with mountains, not in contrast with a beautiful city, not in contrast with anything, just a bright morning sun. And you and I both know that the morning dawn looks so different than the evening setting of the sun. The light of hope and expectation, the light of a new day ahead, that this is the hope to which we have been called and in which we rejoice today. Have you sung that song in a long time? Rising like the morning sun, bringing hope to everyone, the song says. We studied how the resurrection happened not on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, but the next day, the day after it, the eighth day, the first day of the new creation, right? And that's why we celebrate Jesus in his resurrection on the first day of the week. But this rejoicing isn't in its fullness yet, is it? We have this salvation. We rejoice in it, but not in its fullness. Look at how honest Peter is in the text. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is not a pie-in-the-sky guy. Peter is not a guy who is inauthentic with the brokenness of his world. The scriptures don't portray Peter like that to us. Acts 15 is a great example, but neither does Peter portray this world. Are you suffering today? This letter is for you and for me. We, because of this hope, can enter into this beautiful yet broken world with our eyes wide open. There are times when the best that you and I can do is, 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 is low-level rejoicing, as Rick Downs used to call it, when we go, well, I'm just glad Jesus is on the throne because nothing else seems to be going right today. This idea that the best we can muster is low-level rejoicing, you see, one of the promises of Jesus returning is that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, which guarantees us that until Jesus returns, tears are going to flow, right? There is going to be suffering. That's why this book is about suffering and why one of the key points of this book is that it is not suffering, but it's sin that can destroy human beings. Peter tells us why this suffering is in our lives. 
He says it in verse 7 because it refines our faith. Peter compares it to gold that has been refined in fire. I'll never forget the first time I ever preached about gold being refined in fire. John Orphanides was in the congregation. And if you don't know who John Orphanides is, uh, I don't know what to tell you. You missed getting to know a great guy unless they move back from Florida and maybe you'll get to know him. But one of the things that he did is he worked in, in, a, in an office that created crowns for dentistry. And his, one of his jobs was to take gold and to refine it in fire. And he said that when he took that gold and he put it in the flame, the moment it was purified, there was this, this explosion of brilliant light that came off the gold. John said refined gold is brilliant. But Peter says that your faith is even more valuable than refined gold that will ultimately perish, but your faith will not perish And that's why God allows this suffering, the genuineness of our faith to be proven. What does this genuine faith look like? He says in verse 8 that though we have not seen Jesus, we love him. Faith looks like loving Jesus. The next is believing in Jesus, what he has accomplished, and ultimately rejoicing this rejoicing with joy that is inexplicable is what it looks like to live according to Christian hope. Now let me ask you, is that how you felt this week? (laughs) Is that how you feel on a regular basis? Filled with the love of Jesus, your faith in Christ that that allows you to go through any hurdle in your day and, and just this rejoicing that's inexplicable. Honestly, I struggle there. Spurgeon asked the question, why is this joy of the Christian so unspeakable and full of glory? And the only answer that he could give is that I think that it is because it is so altogether divine. It's God's own joy that affects our hearts. It's Christ's own joy that resonates with the Christian hope that works its truth in us. This is a different way about looking at life. I want you to know that I struggle with something. I struggle because I had a mentor in my life that said the way you need to look at life is this, Bradley. Life is just one damned thing after another. Now, I say it that way because you need to understand exactly what he was saying, that suffering has no value other than to be damned, than to be cast out of the presence of God. And as soon as you realize that that's what life is about, you'll be a lot better off. But the problem with looking at life like that that the suffering that comes into our lives, the only hope is that it is damned, completely sent out of the very presence of God. The problem with that is that you and I live our lives as those who seek to escape suffering or to deny suffering or to avoid suffering. I was walking with another minister this week. His wife deals with a very hard 
autoimmune disease. And his wife's anxiety and sorrow is compounded because their daughter has also inherited the same disease. His life right now is riddled with suffering from living in a beautiful yet broken world. And I asked him, I said, how are you doing? And he said this. He said, the suffering in my life keeps coming in waves, it feels like. But he said, you know, it's okay. Because that's how it works this side of heaven. And that's how God forms us. 1 Peter teaches us about taking hold of the future in the present. Finally, because it is anchored, our hope is anchored in the past. Look at verses 10 through 13 with me. 10 through 13 remind us, again looking at salvation, concerning this salvation, Peter says, that this salvation has been God's plan from eternity past not only to reveal himself to us, but to bring us fallen humans into the communion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This plan of salvation, the apostle Peter tells us, is what the prophets from of old prophesied. As far back as Moses writing Genesis 3, that there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent to Abraham and the promise that God gave Abraham that through his family, all of the families on earth would be blessed. To Israel, the nation of God that was called to be a blessing to all other nations. To David, the king, who was a man after God's own heart. Through Isaiah, who prophesied of the suffering servant. And to Jesus, the apex of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Peter says that they, those who prophesied, longed to see the one who would come. They didn't get to see it, but Peter says, we did, and you do. And here again, we find this letter to us because we have. We know of Christ, the fulfillment of all of God's promises, all of God's promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. And he says that these prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You go, where? Go read Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. Go read those. They talk about Christ being crushed for our iniquities and yet him seeing the hope of resurrection and what his resurrection accomplishes. Christian hope is taking hold of the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. It is the aim of all of Scripture that has been accomplished for us. And that's why you, Christian, can rejoice with a joy that is inexplicable. Do you feel lost today? Do you know there's a great verse for you? Jeremiah 6, 16. Do you feel like you're not a part of community anymore? Do you feel like that because of the social struggles of this country, even the church that you love feels foreign to you? 
Go and read Jeremiah 6.16 that says, God has brought you to the place of the ancient ways, to the crossroads. And he says, look and see and follow the old paths that you might find your way. Christian hope is anchored in the past. What is a church supposed to do in the midst of being resident aliens in our own state, in our own country? Some of our greatest theologians say, look to the past of the church. What was the church like in the first century? Multi-ethnic. A committed care for the poor. A commitment to forgiveness and reconciliation. Pro-life from womb to grave. Radical sexual ethic. Look to the past. Christian hope is taking hold of the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. In the midst of this beautiful and broken world, this is the hope that is offered in the gospel. Christian, what are you holding on today? Your anger? Are you holding on to anger because someone has maligned you? Because someone has offended you? Because you feel like God has turned his back to you. Christian hope is taking hold of the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. This week I was arrested by a song and I'm going to close with this. It came in an email that I received and I was listening to the song, and I didn't really like it. Does that happen to you? Somebody sends you a song, they're like, you're going to love this song. And then you click on the song, and you're like, yeah, I don't really like that song. And I don't know what to write back. Thanks for sending the song. You know, and it's obvious that when you don't say anything about the song, you didn't like the song, right? And so I was about to go, yeah, thanks for the song. Didn't really like the song. Didn't understand it. And then the song stopped. And then the song started playing again. And this is what the singer sang. Raise your hand. Take a second and a breath in, saying, I am here for a reason. Teenagers, listen to me. This letter of Peter is for you, and you need to raise your hand. And when you raise your hand, you're saying, I will receive. And you're saying, take a second. Don't freak out. Take a breath in. I know you feel like an alien in this place. But remind yourself you're here for a reason. You are an elect exile. But the song goes on. It says, raise your hand. It says, take a second. Breathe in. Saying, hallelujah. I am known. Church. those who are scattered in exiles. Do you know that you are known by your heavenly Father and that he has accomplished the salvation that will result one day in your head against the breast of Christ? You will have your turn. Until that day, 
We raise our hands. We take a second. Breathe in. I'm here for a reason and I am known. And the proof of that is Christ who has been raised from the dead because death has been crushed. We need this letter. I can't wait to spend more time in it with you. Let's pray.